What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Mm. I reckon we have a bit of a showdown, me and you. Really? Yeah. Okay. Really find out who's a better trainer. Ooh, now you've fucking thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, haven't you? Yeah. I reckon we get puppies, mm. brothers or something like that, okay. and have a bit of a competition, see who can raise it the best. Okay. So now that you've thrown the gauntlet out there, where are you thinking that we're going to get these magnificent specimens from? I want to get duchies right. or shepherds. Yep. So if we're going to get them, the only place in the world that anybody should be looking to get mm. a German Shepherd or a Dutch Shepherd from is House Hamburg Shepherds in Germany. Oh, good call. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like this. All right. So now that we've got the dogs, yeah. what's the next part of the evolution? Well, the good news is mm-hmm. they they can send those Shepherds anywhere in the world. Yep. So what about we get one sent here to Australia? Right. You'll train that one. Okay. And I'll get one sent to myself in North America. Mm-hmm. But we're going to need training equipment to train those dogs. Right. So I guess that I have to go and talk to the bullfed. Yeah. So your gear, all your dog training needs, Mm -hmm. because we'll start fresh. We'll get all new everything. Everything. All your dog training needs will be met by Ironswick Dog Quip. Oh, the bullfed himself. Yeah. Okay. So I can get myself some mills, some great leads, some collars. All that Training devices, treats, balls, whatever I need. Yeah. You'll be able to get that from Ironswick because you're going to be here in Australia. Well, that means that you have to go up. North, further north yep. in, in North America yep. and go and see old mate Mach Le Point. Yep. And get everything from Canine everything. Dynamics. Oh, Canine Dynamics. Yep. Yep. I'll get the leashes I need, the tugs I need, everything. I think I can even get bite suits. Everything. Yeah. I can get that from Canine Dynamics. Yep. From in North America. Mm-hmm. There is one part of this that is somewhat unfair. Well, you get to hang out with Melanie Benway. Yeah, so I'm actually going to get my dog. Tra- I'm not going to do any of the training. Yep. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to get a play and train mm-hmm. done where Mel's actually just going to come to my house because I'm going to take that dog to Richmond, Virginia. Yep. Ashland, Virginia Ashland. as well. Ashland, Ashland Virginia. Virginia. Yep. So everything both areas. Yeah. I can be either one of those mm. and I'm just going to go do something else nine to five and she'll come into my home, train that dog. Well, you're sipping... Cafe just, lattes. Just, just gallivanting yeah. all over Gallivanting. The <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm at my house because we're still in lockdown. Glenn's at his house because he's still in lockdown. But joining us via Zoom, we've got a couple of special guests today. A little bit different. They're not dog trainers, but they're certainly in the dog industry. We've got Michael Ryan and Zoe Bingley-Pullen. And if you haven't heard of those guys, you probably would know, if you're in Australia, you'd know Zoe, certainly, because you would have seen her cooking amazing meals on the Good Chef, Bad Chef shows, amongst other stuff. So guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for having us. Wonderful to have you both. Thank you very much for joining us. Whereabouts are you guys right now? You're in the heart of Sydney, aren't you? Yes, uh, I actually collect classic cars as a hobby, and uh, it's also the warehouse for our beloved food company. 
So we've got classic cars and food all in the same place. Let's just gloss over that. What sort of cars have you got there? I collect 1950s styles cars. Volkswagens are my absolute passion. So I have a range of Beetles, Beetle convertibles, beach buggies, country buggies, Carmen gears and buses. So I, I love anything old. Do you have any Myers Manx? Have you got any Beetles turned into those? Myers Manx right here. You can actually you can turn around and you can see it right looking at you right there. Aha. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Yeah, that I desperately wanted a Myers Max when I was a kid. I wanted that to be my first car, which would have been a stupid move. And then I nearly bought one maybe oh, 20 years ago or 15 years ago. I nearly bought one, but I had a Mustang at the time and having two borderline undrivable cars in my tiny inner city apartment just seemed like a bad idea. Myers Max buggies are going through the roof now since he passed away fairly recently. And obviously there's the Steve McQueen connection to them and they are going exponential. Yeah, right. So there's no more of them, right? Like, they, do they sell the kits anymore? Yes, the kits are still sold. You can buy them. However, it's the original ones that are worth the most money. Cool. Well, back to dog food. So, <laughs> so Michael, I've known you for 10 years now, and in that 10 years, I never knew that you were a car collector. Yeah, well, you, uh, you know me as my personal training background, uh, my fitness experience, um, and you've never known. I've been collecting cars now for, for pretty much 30 years. The first car I purchased which my dad gave me a tiny bit of money to help me buy. It was a, a 1956 Porsche Speedster uh, and I bought it for in pieces. Uh, it was just a bunch of pieces, but it was all original. And I spent maybe five years getting that all built back together and it's a very special car now. And from that point, I started just buying uh, other cars year after year. I think we've got in our collection now about 16 to 17 cars. So it's nice. <laughs> He looks at wow. me as if like he like you know, a loving a loving approval is needed at that point in time, but I don't think it was ever asked. <laughs> that, that, that's actually awesome how he actually looked at you, Zoe, and said in our collection. <laughs> yeah, I think it's eighteen to nineteen exactly. If I didn't exactly, say Zoe. Exactly. In fact, my daughter's twenty twenty-one is what she keeps telling me. So anyway, you've got to go with where the passion lies because as we know it keeps people happy and that's what that's what we're all trying to do these days. Absolutely. Just something else I want to sew in there in our relationship, Michael, is that anybody who knows the company that I work for and manage, Pet Resorts Australia, who's in Australia themselves, or even people overseas who have been following us. Michael and his team helped design our brand and our logo. So that's another way that we've had a relationship. You know, the owners of the company and Michael have had a, a long-term friendship dating a long time back. That's how I was introduced to Michael. And then his team actually came on board to help us redesign our brand. And they've been a part of our journey pretty much all the way through it. So we're kind of family in a way. Yeah, I think it always goes back to give you a bit of a background. My history has always been in health and fitness but I got into fitness publishing and creative design. So I was, I was doing a magazine for a company here in Australia called Fitness First for many years. I, I did their magazine for 12 years. So I had a creative team on board and we used to pride ourselves in working with third parties like Pet Resorts. And we're very proud of the work that my team did for you guys. It was great work. I loved it. So are we, mate. It's very impressive. Like the team that you had were very professional, very easy to deal with. They were passionate with us because we all knew each other and they wanted it to become something 
extraordinary, which it did. People always commented when we got the van wrapped and the logo and the design and the way it looked. We still to this day get extremely good comments on it. So, you know, people give us great feedback and they see the van driving down the road and they say, oh, it looks fantastic. You know, the colour scheme, the way you've used the pictures of the dogs and cats, everything about it really grabs people's eyes, which is exactly what we went for. When we were all sitting in the boardroom and said, this is what we want to do. This is the journey we want to go on. It was a really fun experience, actually. It was uh, something that has really had a major impact on our company. Great. I love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> hey, let's tell everyone why you guys are on the show. So you have a dog food brand called Healthy Everyday Pets, and it's an interesting brand to us because Glenn, less me, and, you know, this will come out as we go through the episode, but Glenn and Narelle have gotten, you know, right into the raw feeding and, you know, pet nutrition and that kind of stuff. So it's relevant to us because you guys have a a very high end, like both of you backgrounds in health and nutrition have developed a pet food that is along those lines and designed to, you know, provide health and nutrition to pets rather than the standard kibble that is available. But let's go back and sort of, we we touched on your history there, Michael, and working in uh, fitness as a personal trainer and branding guy for fitness first. Give us the full story. How did you guys get into this? Zoe as well. How did you get into not just nutrition, but then more specifically pet nutrition and come to know so much about that? We've obviously had dogs and cats. And first of all, Health Radio Pets is both dogs and cats. Uh, uh, we've had them all our life. And, uh, we don't care about cats. This is a no cat show. <laughs> <laughs> And look, look, we had golden retrievers for many years, and the last golden retriever we had died of disease. And 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 Zoe was probably the one who first of all said, you know, there's got to be something in the diets that we're feeding these animals that Mm. potentially isn't right. Now, I don't promote dry food as a single source of, of feeding your pets or your dogs. I obviously am into the raw diet as well. However, I uh, totally understand that majority of the population tend to get into mixed feeding. Mm. So when I looked at the dry food market, I first of all wanted to have a look at that and improve what I saw was fundamentally flawed, meaning it has way too much carbohydrates in nearly every single food I could find. American brands particularly are, are prone to it, but in the, all the Australian brands, we're talking 35 to 50% carbohydrates. And that's the first thing I wanted to look at. So I wanted to create the lowest carbohydrate dry food in the Australian market and I achieved to do that. And I looked at also the way that they were uh, using protein within the products as well. And when I say I looked at it, I used nutritionists, pet nutritionists uh, along the way. I didn't use Norel at that point, but I've now consulting with Norel. <laughs> and we looked to try and make the highest animal protein with the lowest carbohydrate dry food in the Australian market. So we wanted to acknowledge that people will most of the time mix feed. And if they have a dry food in their cupboard, let's make sure they've got the best dry food possible. We've been reviewed independently now by, uh, I think there's a company called Pet Food Reviews, and we've got pretty much the highest rating of any dry food that they've given. I think that's a good credit to it. But more than that, we've now branched into the treats range as well. And that's where I can actually claim to be the most pure. That's where we're using real cuts of meats, no meat meals, no nasty preservatives, no fillers. And we're creating a treat range based around kangaroo and other protein sources that I believe is pretty much uh, one of the best or if not the best in the Australian market. The reason I say it is that the guy's factory that we've recently partnered with and, and potentially purchasing or are purchasing, he's been air drying treats for 25 years using traditional techniques where he air dries slowly, curing it over three days. A lot of the big brands and commercial companies out there can't afford to do that. They turn up the heat 
thin it down and whiz it through the thing so they get a product out very quickly. So I'm really proud to, to produce a, a very high quality of treat range to match our dry kibble range. Can you just elaborate on that? Like what's the difference? Why is drying slowly more beneficial to drying fast? It's really important because obviously as a nutritionist in any food, what we're trying to retain is enzymes. So enzymes, if you think about it, are kind of like the cornerstone of how we digest our food. What we need is we need an abundance of the enzymes to break the food down, to then get all the nutrients out of what is contained within that food. Now, if you put any form of heat treating, what you do is you break down firstly those key enzymes. So already what you're doing is you're, you're making it harder for that beautiful animal to get the best out of the food. So by slowly releasing or slowly drying that and doing it in a way where you're curing it appropriately, you're getting the best not only from the enzymes, but you're getting more flavour. What you do is you retain the flavour. So naturally, as we know, particularly, I know you don't like cats, but particularly with cats, they don't lie. They're not going to not eat a food they don't like. And it's the same with with dogs. They're not going to eat foods in some cases. So if you can have something that nutritionally has a higher profile, but also flavor-wise is even more better. That's you know, that's what we just wanted to aim to do. Zoe and I regularly do markets now, and it's really yeah. just fun <laughs> to get out there and talk to the people. And we absolutely love it. So we're regularly seen now when they're on uh, due to COVID down at say the Bondi markets down here in the eastern suburbs. And and I can't tell you when you have our treats out, the noses of the dogs, they smell them from a mile away. We did actually a dog show recently or a dog event, and the dogs were basically swarming around our tent they could smell the aroma and there was other dog food brands all around and they were not doing it for their brand. So it really shows that the the retention through slowly air drying really does do what we're suggesting it does. I can interject there, Michael and Zoe, even though we've got a friendship and a relationship, I'm going to say it up front. We're not being sponsored to do this. Like this is not a a favor or a sponsorship. We wanted to talk about this because we wanted to talk about normal people, well, as normal as you two are, (laughs) who have really had no history or stand in the pet industry or pet care place that have now got into this business and started it up from stumps. And I guess that's where we want to sort of go into, you know, about how you actually did this, the pitfalls that you found, how crazy the industry can be when you're involved in that level. But what I did want to mention is that both of you sent out to Narelle and I a little sample pack of your dried treats and said, could you independently try these out and give them to your dogs? Publicly on air, Narelle and I tested them. We've got three French bulldogs and two German shepherds, which we tested them on. They all loved them, like absolutely loved them. There was no surprise there. They're, most of them are gluttons for food. The one thing that I did notice, and this is absolute God's honest truth. I just ran out of them the other day and I was giving it to Ladybug, who's our one of our French bulldogs. She's had some spinal issues and so forth. And when we get her to walk properly or do anything that she's go to the toilet properly or anything like that, like we always give her treats to reward her to basically prompt her along to do the right type of behavior. Here's the thing which I noticed the other day. She would always run back inside and she was very enthusiastic, especially those little beef liver ones that you gave me. We crumbed those up and we were giving those to her as treats. We ran out the other day and Narelle gave her different one, which is like a dried kangaroo. And no shit, she looked at it as if, oh, okay, well, I'll take it. It's not the other one that I got. And you could actually see the attitude change in her. I really wish I filmed it so I could actually give it to you guys to show you. Like the look on her face was like, oh, this is supplementary to what I've been getting. And she took it, but the enthusiasm wasn't there. So that's an indication itself. I mean, it's the same thing for us when we're eating food is that if you're sort of eating your staples, you go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just I'm eating just to suffice my hunger. Whereas other times where you're having a real treat, you know, like 
like you're having a food that you really enjoy, you go out to a classic restaurant, you're eating really well-prepared chef's dishes and so forth. It's a party in your mouth kind of thing. That's kind of the key thing, isn't it? I mean, as a nutritionist, I always want, you know, we're trying to excite people to eat food and, and engage with food. I mean, animals are no different. They, they want to engage and they want to have pleasure around what the food they're eating. And, you know, we, we, we genuinely found that what we're getting is such a huge response. And I think also doing the markets and having this very hands-on approach to this business, we're getting such beautiful feedback. But what also, when we do get something, we can immediately put that into, we can innovate that straight away. So we're basically constantly adding, refining. We've added all these amazing skews. You know, we have got barramundi, sweet potato, because we're talking about what the audience wants, what the customer wants, what these pets actually want to eat, and we're able to create those products. I think, Glenn, just to add to that too, you know, we are a small, I call us a boutique company in pet food and 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 who are we in fitness to be experts in pet nutrition? Well, we're not claiming to be that, but what we are doing is aligning ourselves with great people like yourselves and Narelle for advice and, and things like that, but also other great nutritionists. This uh, a guy, Mark Roberts in the USA, is PhD in pet nutrition that we've been working with as well. And you slowly build there if you align yourself with great people through this process because we, we realise how much marketing there is in pet food and and there's a lot of disguise mm. and deceit i think in pet food and i'm mm. not going to call it out on that i want it to remain ethical to what i think a uh, good quality food is you know i i'm the first one to admit a dry food is not the number one thing you should be feeding your dog however it is obviously extremely important mm. people have for mixed feeding they're, they're going to run out of going to run out of time at some point in their day and and they're weak and what it is and will need some type of dry food in the mm. cupboard and i always want them to have our dry food but our treat range that's a really beautiful story that what you've just told me and i really appreciate it. it's the first time i've heard it glenn and i mean that honestly but it's um it's not uncommon to what I'm hearing on a regular basis about people saying to me, I don't understand why. One person told me the other day she was standing in a park and she said oh, and she just pulled out her treats and suddenly she had six dogs all around her. <laughs> I just know I'm on a good thing with this thing. It's like I said, we, we actually purchased the factory that manufactures these treats now. So I can't say we're going to take it to the world, but we're definitely going to try and, um, and create a brand around it. One thing that Pat and I try and bring to people's awareness is to pay more attention to their dogs and we often have a phrase in the podcast, which is how to teach a dog to live its best life. You know, like dogs eat food. We all know that. And dogs are excited about food and even shit food. They'll still be enthusiastic about. However, through the journey that we've tried to lead people on in this podcast, it's about getting people to pay a little bit more attention to what's actually going on and how dogs are respondent to the stimuli around them. And as I said before, dogs will still get excited about substandard types of food, but when you watch them closely, and this is the thing for me, when you're doing proper observation, the look on her face and the way that she sort of responded to it. Now, a normal pet owner might miss that. They might say, oh, they're still happy. You know, they're still getting food. When you know your dog and- yeah. To coin in a new phrase, I steal the, the phrase from Socrates, know thyself, and I explain it, know thy dog as well. So when you're actually watching the expression of the dog, the behavior of the dog, and you can see that there is these subtle changes, like disappointment, you know, like I'll still take it, but it's not the one that I really wanted. And that to me was significant, you know, like those things are significant because, I mean, that can even help me in training. It can help me in, in a lot of things that I'm trying to do. So it was quite a surprise to see that expression on her face. As I said, I really wish I filmed it so I could actually show people how different it was. And it's so interesting because, I mean, when we when we did inherit our dog, she was six years old and it broke my heart because, 
we had a dog that was depressed. We had a dog that I think it wasn't like the other owner didn't love this dog, was doing their best, but they didn't know what sort of what we knew about food as well. And slowly by slowly, we, you know, it was changing her diet and looking at her response. I remember watching Caesar Milan one day because I, I was so upset. I was at a loss as a, as a mother, like to my child. This was my first baby. I didn't know what to do. And Caesar Milan was showing this beautiful engagement tip about getting down on their level. And, you know, we got to sort of build trust, but also nutritionally, we noticed such a difference from when we first got her to unfortunately when she sadly passed away of cancer. But we, you know, she had such a renew in her life because of what we were feeding. And, and, and like you said, how we were engaging with her, like we listened to those signs. We were watching to see if she was happy or not by the food that we were eating or what we were doing with her and her therapy, if you like. Let's talk about the industry itself and, and the, the pet food industry. So we know you guys have got a good product. We've got it, right? But let's talk about how you came into the market and the challenges that you faced along the way doing that and why your product is better than, than others. So like, yeah, there's taste and there's nutrition that you, you speak about, but tell us what is else going on? Cause I think people can see that. Like you give your dogs stuff, if they like it, they like it, if not. Mm. Right. But I think the problem can be then that maybe we, people don't know what they're giving to their dogs. So that's sort of what we'd like to hear from you guys. If, if like your journey into starting this business. Well, what I realized is that, and I'll talk about the dry food industry, first of all, we all have to use third-party manufacturing in the process. And the problem with that is, is the majority of the third-party manufacturers all have their own products themselves. So there's not a lot of interest in them majorly helping out a boutique player like myself that's trying to create a better product out there. Hold on, mate. Can you just explain that to people? So third-party manufacturing, you mean that like if Pat Stewart wants to start a dog food company today, I've got a great recipe that I've have made myself, you mean that I then have to go to another brand because they have the facilities, the machinery, the equipment and say to them, Hey, I am your direct competitor. I have a recipe, which I believe is better than yours, but I need you to manufacture this for me. And that's how most people are doing it. Right. That's in the dry food segment. That's correct. Yeah. Obviously in the raw food diet, the raw food movement, it's a completely different story, but in the dry food segment, yeah, that's the way it is. And, and when you want to put a higher quality meat, animal meat content in it, like ours has 86% animal protein in it. The cost of animal protein is, is significant. Uh, like for instance, and it's controlled a lot by the venture capitalist companies. There's tying up all the protein sources and other things like that. So it's becoming more and more expensive and driving prices up. And, and what it leads for a lot of brands is they tend to be forced to do things like add fillers to it, uh, things that dogs don't need. We all know that dogs don't need carbohydrates. When I say we all don't know that, they essentially need next to nothing in carbohydrates. Unfortunately, dry food by nature is, is somewhere between 40 and 50, 35 and 50%, and it's too much. So you've got those issues as well. So essentially what happens with my product to, to be price competitive is we sacrifice our margin in a significant way. There's not a lot of upside in our product because it costs a lot to make in the first place. So it makes it very difficult for us to retail our product in, in stores because uh, unless we cut the quality of the product and, and what it's all about, which I'm not prepared to do, it's hard to make a living out of doing what we're trying to do. So don't cry poor me. I don't want to go fund me page, but I, I want to remain true to what I believe should be in the product. And on that, can you explain to us what are the observable effects of a dog that eats more carbohydrates than protein? 
I remember reading a study a while ago that given the choice, dogs essentially put themselves on a keto diet. And so there's evidence that they then must feel better. But what is it that someone might observe in their dog if they cut carbs from their almost did completely? I suppose that there would be minimal carbs, like exactly like keto, you're sort of saying under that for a person under that 20 grams a day. And there's kind of, unless you're going full carnivore, which a dog can't do, there's some carbs that are around the fibers that you're eating and that kind of stuff. And so when you go down to that very low carb for a dog, what is observable? What might someone notice a change in their dog? So by the nature of carbohydrates, there are energy dense food, but what they are in most cases is pro-inflaming. So for dogs, what we don't want is dogs to be pro-inflamed. It will affect everything from joint mobility all the way through to their fur. So what you will notice is you'll notice by putting a dog on a lower carbohydrate diet, there's two things that obviously mobility will be affected, improved, and also you'll see it in the nature of um, their coats. But also the quality of the protein is really important because the majority of the protein that is put into kibbles is derived from a legume. And again, we don't, the pets just don't need it. We don't need it in high quantity in our own diet. So if you put more animal protein, what you will get is you'll get a higher form of omega fats in there as well. And then what we know is that they are, they're you know, beneficially anti-inflammatory type foods as well. So that works on every function. We also know that every single cell in the, in the animal's body has a lipid layer around it. So you'll work with cellular communication. So it decreases the inflammation. And again, from a satiation point of view, the animals love it more salivation. They saliva more in that, you know, there's all these enzymes that can break the food down. So it's beneficial when it comes to digestion as well. Can I add to that in layman's terms? They'll lose <laughs> weight and they'll have smaller stools. There you go. <laughs> the better, better shit and they'll look better. <laughs> and, and it also adds to cognition too, doesn't it, Zoe? Absolutely. I mean, we know that every brain is made from fat, you know, so we need a huge amount of a huge uptake of fats to actually help not only from the conversion or the support from the, uh, our lipids into the forms of carbohydrates that we use for the brain, but we need it, we need a constant supply of good fats. In well, the a body. huge part of a dog's energy is derived from fat. Un- unbeknownst to people, fat is extremely important. High fat is extremely important in a dog's diet. So, again, uh, in our kibble, we've tried to have the highest fat content we could. I'd like to actually make it even higher. We're just over 20%, but I want it even higher than that. So, again, raw food diets, you know, a lot of people tend to think about lean protein. You want the fats in there. The fattier the meats, the better for the dog. So, and, I, and it's quite interesting because when you look at the manufacturing side of things, the better you're trying to make your product because the machines simply don't do the job. We're, gonna, we're having to, you know, really you know, innovate and, and think about, think outside the square as to how we can actually pull this great nutrition into our kibble, but be able to produce it where it will, like, for example, just hold its form, remain fresh in a packet, not, you know, not want to absorb hydration. Like there's such little things that we're constantly having to problem solve because we're trying to make sure that this product is really as beneficial as it possibly can be in, in the ranges that we're doing. One of the products we've worked on, and it's been tested by Mark Roberts, who's a PhD pet nutritionist in the United States, uh, originally grew up in New Zealand. Is um, we worked with um, with some guys in the, in uh, New Zealand to develop a keto dog roll that are uh, based on Mark's theory. And Mark's tested on his working dogs in the uh, his huskies, American huskies that he has on sleds, and he's tested them and done blood analysis on these dog rolls we've developed. That he has his strict formula of protein to fat 
and minute amount of carbohydrate, very high fat. So fat's up over the 30% mark, I think it is, and truly gets the dogs into ketosis. But going back to your point, he's done lots of testing on dogs to show that if you put a, a kibble in front of them with it that's loaded with carbohydrates and put one that's high in animal protein, they automatically will gravitate to the high animal protein. They want the high animal protein uh, source over carbohydrates, but they're scavengers and they will take whatever's in front of them, as you said lightly before about that kangaroo treat that they didn't like. While we're talking about fats and that's been injected into the conversation, let's talk about that in a little bit more detail because immediately when you say the word fats to people, it automatically sends an alarm through their head. Can you elaborate that on a little bit further? It's so interesting because, I mean, having been in this industry 20 years, it it just drives me insane that people still don't understand how good fat is. I mean, essentially a ketogenic diet is the diet that we should all be using, you know, but it's so beneficial when it comes to the the layer of lipids, the, the types of lipids or fats that we need in our body as well. You know, every cell, like I said before, has a lipid layer around it. So what that means is that when you're getting the right amount of fats, you'll actually hold in other nutrients and particularly when we look at fat-soluble versus water-soluble vitamins. So what we need, like all animals, is that we need our A's and our, you know, our different types of water-soluble vitamins to work in conjunction with our fat-soluble vitamins, such as antioxidants for neural development. So it is so important that we have a high percentage of fat for everything from how the pleasure that it gives us when we eat food all the way through to the neurological impact it has you know, it's one of the first things we see if we don't give a pet the right balance of fats. We see a decline neurologically as well. I think people confuse the word fats when they're thinking about healthy fats with things like trans fats, yeah. obviously the unhealthy fats. And that's where the alarm starts to generate from because they're constantly being told fats are bad, fats are bad. They're very bad for you. They give you brain fog. You put on weight through them. It makes you chronically sick. It causes inflammation. But that's the trans fats. That's the bad fats that people are having, the processed fats. Yeah, so trans fats, again, are what we call partially hydrogenated fats. So essentially what they are, that's, for example, they might take a canola or vegetable oil, they'll heat it, and what that does is it changes the molecular structure. So what it means is that molecular structure is then it's carcinogenic. And then what it does, it won't actually communicate effectively. It's like putting a star-shaped fat with a circular-shaped fat. They just don't work together anymore. So what we need is we need to reduce the trans fats. And in most cases, these are the manufactured forms of fat. Virtually nothing has natural trans fats. It's very, very rare. What we're wanting is a combination of essential fatty acids and we're wanting a combination of saturated fats, particularly when we look at sort of animal saturated fats. We now know that, you know, there there is such a strong ability for the body to actually use and burn and store these fats effectively. It's all about the language and the communication to the audience. I mean, I'm still as a nutritionist trying to explain to people that these fats are really, really important then we don't want to be eating like anything. We don't want to be eating too much of them. And that's just applied a bit with common sense. But you do desperately need to have these fats in the body as well. My interest in dogs is training, right? And health and nutrition is super important. I consider my personal dog, my Malinois Remy, like he tore his ACL and my words to the surgeon was like, you need to treat this dog like you would an Olympic athlete, right? Because I care that much about how in shape he is and how well he performs. And I'm curious on the performance side of things, like 
we can observe performance. Like if my dog becomes lethargic, I can see that very easily. If my dog wastes muscle, I can see that very easily. If he burns out in sessions, I can see that very easily. But the neural side of it, have you guys looked into that at all? Into like, you know, because one of the things as dog trainers, and that's, you know, that's the majority of people listening to the show are going to be, you know, called in to deal with problem dogs. Problems have nervous issues, all kinds of things that are really happening in the brain of the dog, not so much the body. And so what have you guys looked into in regards to that brain function and performance at that level? And can you talk on that at all? No, actually, we haven't actually looked into that, but I mean, there is huge links into diet and neurodevelopment, as we know. particularly when you look at things like anxiety. So when you're looking at anxiety, there's a bit of a malformation or there might not be a number of different things, primarily where there's a mineral uptake. So they might not be having the correct amount of minerals. As we know, minerals work to, you know, support our nerve function. We also know that when we look at things like the inflamed versus or pro-inflamed versus anti-inflammatory, we know that if we've got a right amount of the inflammation, those nerve linings are basically communicating more effectively as well. So although we haven't personally looked into this as a nutritionist and logically, it would say to me that if you're getting the right kind of fats into the diet and the right kind of minerals, which is coming from the quality of the product, because there's only so much you want. You don't want to be fortifying into as much nutrient because what you're then compromising is often the product itself. Um, albeit that we do put beautiful green lip muscle and we put our turmeric and we put our beautiful anti-inflammatories in there. We want to make sure that our product itself is superior uh, and, and, you know, actually contains all those good, you know, nutritional profiles in there as well. So I, it's definitely food for thought and I, I'm, I'm definitely going to give it some, I'll give it some energy. But again, because what we are creating is such a beautiful, well-rounded product, we're going to make sure that, you know, we are getting all those good nutritions into, into it for all functions, not just neurodevelopment as well. Yeah. It's a tricky one because it's one of the things I would usually, I ask always whenever I'm dealing in a case of a dog that has, you know, anxiety issues or aggression yeah. issues and that kind of stuff. What diet is the dog on is always a question. Mm. And, and sometimes the red flags in that space are often very low quality kibble or raw feeding as well is often a, a, a red flag in that space when people are not giving a balance in raw feeding. And so sometimes like I've seen people that you know, have their dog on just a hundred percent meat diet. And I think long-term that can have like some detrimental effects. So I have seen that, right? You've got the issue because again, a raw feed, an exclusive raw feed diet, will, like anyone, if you're having too much meat is pro-inflaming. Yeah, right. And and just feeding like 100% muscle meat, right? Like it, there's pieces missing from that. Mind you, I've done that myself for a period of time, which didn't work out so well. So <laughs> um, <laughs> that that balance, I think, is is super important. And, and there's a middle ground, right, of, of the very low-end kibble that doesn't provide everything and is more cardboard than anything else. And then people who have thinking they're doing the right thing in providing nothing but muscle meat, and they're missing those micronutrients that the dog really does need. And in both instances, in that case, I've seen problems, mental health problems with the dogs that represent as physical problems because we can't, you know, get inside the dog's head and, you know, have that deep conversation with them. But we, we can certainly observe the, the behaviors that come of their their stress and issues and that kind of thing. I think that's just another one to keep in the pocket over the quality of food that you're feeding the dog and its overall lifestyle, happiness. Like there's certainly the physical stuff is very measurable and observable, but I think there's that mental health piece that um, maybe gets overlooked a little bit. 
it's a really valid point, and I, and I think as much in the raw food diet, there's as much issues there as potentially as there is in the potential dry food market as well. And it gets back to where it's hard to find the most perfect. You know, you look at us as humans. I go to McDonald's occasionally. I <laughs> like, and then I like to eat my nice, healthy foods occasionally. Then I eat the pastas and other things occasionally. And it's kind of mixed feeding in the same way that it ends up being with dogs. You want to make sure you get some excellent nutrition in there. It's not always completely perfect, but it gets back to that mixed feeding. And I see a raw, a raw food diet mixed with with a dry, a quality dry food diet and some quality treats is the way that that mm. uh, I truly believe is is accommodating and and something that people can comply with and be consistent with. So it's very difficult to be to be uh, totally dedicated to a complete and balanced raw food diet every single day of every dog's meal of everything that they eat. It's, it's, it's quite difficult to do. I'm not sure. I'm sure people can do it, but it's difficult to do. That's something that I definitely come up against is like, I would feed my dog raw only for the admin side of it. So I supplement raw. I give them a lot of raw stuff and a few days a week. And then I go through phases where there'll be a few weeks where they get nothing but that, but with a, a focus on training and certainly Again, most of what I do is, you know, training dogs to do specific tasks and food would be a, a part of their training in that space, right? And and so it can be very difficult to focus on the nutrition of the dog while you're also controlling their calories and making them work yeah. for it in a way that you can deliver it and that sort of stuff. So I think that you, you're spot on there. We say like it, it's, it's a bit of an ebb and flow and it's that mixed feeding and that sometimes we're always providing the best that we can for the situation that we're in. But sometimes the primary motivator of that situation is controlling the the time, place and type of food that the dog's getting in order to achieve a training outcome or a lifestyle outcome rather than the best that would be for the health of that dog in that, in that circumstance. Good point. One of the points I was trying to make before was the absolute misuse around the words complete and balanced. That word has been <laughs> completely corrupted through all of the industries, you, you know, human health, pet health. Uh-huh. It's something that's just stamped onto packages and it has been since I, you know, even since I've been a kid, I remember, you know, some of the worst culprits in the dog food industry, the ones that really are just lips and assholes, just say complete and balanced. As consumers, you trust when you see those words, you think to yourself, I'm helping my dog have its best life by giving it this specially branded veterinary recommended diet which as i said before is just lips and assholes it's like hot dogs it's full of stuff that you really don't want your dog to be eating but it's a staple that you can easily get out of your cupboard put a cup in there and throw it in a bowl and it's no real fuss around it michael we hit the nail on the head perfectly before when you said that there are just as many issues in the raw feeding sector as there are in the kibble feeding sector. And this is not something just to say, you know, like just because we've got people who are manufacturing a kibble that we're, you know, we're trying to defend your end. It is an actual problem when people are supplementing a diet, which they don't have all the checks and balances in place. So therefore they get, they think they're doing the right thing by the dog to give the dog raw meat and a couple of bones here and there. But like Narelle has gone right down the rabbit hole in a lot of raw feeding and, and nutrition, you know, like she literally spends seven days a week and I'm not kidding. She spends seven days a week and probably f- between four and six hours a day studying peer reviewed material on the scientific benefits of health and nutrition through diet. And the journey that she's been taking on, like even myself, for example, when I get brain fog or I'm feeling unwell, 
Narelle will come in. She said, well, no wonder. Look at the shit you're eating. You're your own okay. worst enemy. Like, I recommend these supplements to you and I recommend that you do this. And she does. Like, I'm not – I absolutely am not a poster child of my wife's good study. You know, like, <laughs> I go right outside the realm of what she recommends that I eat. But when I do get back in line with what she's doing, I start to feel great again. You know, like, the weight starts to come off quickly. My brain is functioning well. I'm sleeping better. Like, everything regulates. And that's where true – complete and balance comes in when you're really looking at, you know, not only your physical lifestyle, but also, you know, your nutritional lifestyle, because again, all of those checks and balances has to weigh in. You have to think about all of that in order to truly live your best life, because without that, you're literally going to wake up every day, nowhere near reaching your full potential. And and that's crazy because like I said, I sabotage myself on a regular basis and then I'm miserable about it. And then I get back up and I, th- I say to Narelle, help me fix myself. And she'll say to me, this is what you need to do. And you you don't have to completely give up all the things that you like, but you do have to be far more considerate about A, taking in more water and B, exercising a little bit more and definitely C, being more conscious about the type of food you're eating. And sugar, we haven't really addressed the problem with sugar and the detrimental effect that that has on you. I was even laughing. I was watching Men in Black the other day, and I think it was Men in Black 3. And one of them was saying, oh, there's a worldwide scourge that's going to eliminate the whole world. And Will Smith turns around and goes, it's sugar. And um, it was just a funny line in the movie. It was something of words to that effect. But Narelle keeps saying to me, she always says, processed sugar and these processed foods that we're eating the impact it's having on you, you just won't see it straight away because it smells good and it it's so addictive and it attracts you to want to eat it. But the problem is, is what it's going to do to you mid and long term. Absolutely. And I think the thing is you're in it, I mean, in the pet food industry itself, it's unregulated. So you've got anyone just putting anything in as well. So, you know, I think we we try and sort of pride ourselves on being as transparent as we possibly can. Everything from our website, we've got all the ingredients in there as well. But like you said, because we are a boutique business, we can change and we can innovate. So when we learn something, we can then adjust that, which is so exciting because it means that we're constantly, you know, moving forward. But processed foods, I mean, there is... You know, it's that fine line, isn't it, to having the right balance and mixture of that, what we call a found a good foundational diet. Well, it was interesting the other day, Zoe, that I remember you and Michael were having a conversation with Narelle about how to use a better binder instead of the standard yeah. uh, binders that people are using, which again, you know, the problem is, is that they're so high in carbohydrate mm-hmm. and the actual effect they have on the food, which is where you and Michael are really trying to look outside the square of a binder that's much healthier and even though it's going to change the dynamic of what the food looks like and instead of the food being a certain color or the food being a beautiful little circle or something like that that you might need to consider some changes in there because of the different type of binding you use and the interesting thing is which I've learned and even listening to yourselves talking about this and Narelle is a lot of what people are feeding it it's made to be attractive when people and that's the thing the color and the size and the shape and everything is appealing to people you know and you've got people who spend millions of dollars that do market research on actually getting people to buy food simply on the way it looks and that's just crazy 
Yeah, look, we're really hoping that, you know, as we educate people further and further about what real food looks like, because this is what real food looks like. Once you take the emulsifiers out and you take the colouring and you take the high sugar content and the salt content out, it just looks like food. (laughs) It doesn't look like a lolly, basically. So, we, you know, we're really trying to innovate and create with the right kind of binders or whatever, you know, those sort of added things that don't make it look maybe visually, but nutritionally have something so amazing in it. So, the, the, the pet will respond to that. And we're hoping that the customer, you know, the consumer will slowly kind of that, that message will kind of branch out. And we are seeing health being such a huge topic, you know, human nutrition, pet nutrition. It's front of mind now, you know, particularly with COVID and this opportunity to be at home and look at our food and look at our impact of our diet because it's, you know, it's such a small little box that we're living in compared to what we, you know, the distractions we normally have in life. So Fingers crossed that people become more educated and, you know, become that will sort of support this industry as a whole. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? So we're talking these binders, like what it specifically are people using? Because I think that we've certainly been programmed to think of the shape, size, color of pet food to be a particular thing and has a particular look, the size. And for people like me who train with the dog's food, that is important to me. And the way that I handle that food becomes important. And that would be a trade-off that maybe I or others would be willing to make if I really understood why something comes in a particular shape. So some food is the tiny, tiny little sort of rat-sized pellets and some are other bigger chunks. What is yours and why is it that? You know, explain to us the difference between a healthier binder versus a, a non-healthy binder and what effect that has. Because I can tell you, my dog does not give a fuck what the food looks like. <laughs> I think that's strictly a human thing. And since I'm not eating it, I also don't give a shit what it tastes like, right? So like we've got a, I care what it feels like in my hand because I'm the one that will be handling it. And so there's got to be an education piece there on why is it worth me like going against my programming and, and going for something that maybe looks different to what is the norm or what I've become used to. What's the benefit? What am I giving up? What am I gaining? I think it just gets back to the majority of binders are all carbohydrate based. And as I mentioned before, pretty much every kibble in the market has somewhere between 35 and 55% carbohydrates in them. And dogs just don't need it. It's, it potentially will cause long-term health issues for them. It's basically, I, I liken it personally to feeding your dog McDonald's every day when you put that much carbs in a, in a kibble. And you would agree, I would say, that if you ate McDonald's every day, I think there's a documentary on a guy who did it, you saw what happened to him over a period of time. Yeah, up front, they'll, they looks good, tastes good, dogs will eat it, I understand it. So, so I'm just, uh, as much as you say binders, I'm just all about trying to reduce carbohydrates as much as possible in dog's diet. Um, I acknowledge that, uh, that through kibble, it's hard to get it down to zero, but I'm looking for ways to achieve that, as Glenn mentioned before, through coming up with a potential binding agent that's not carbohydrate-based that has other potential nutrient benefits to it so it doesn't have to go through that process. But the size of the kibble, well, these go through extruding machines and that sort of dictates the size of the kibble. So that is flexible. You can dictate the size and shape. When I say shape, they don't do all pretty shapes, but they're all fundamentally round. So, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. So the binder being a carbohydrate base, is it like a mostly a potato or rice type thing and it's the starches then that literally hold the rest of it together? Is that how it works? Correct. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of rice, potatoes, tapioca is used a lot 
as a binding agent. It's those starchy products that, that are very heavily carbohydrate-based. So you see a lot of kibbles out there, they call for working dog formulas, I think they call them. And the perception is that a working dog formula is just full of carbohydrates because it gives them energy. Is it just a massive misconception about where the energy is derived from? I think over the next few years, that's going to come more and more to fruit, uh, to light with people because it very much follows the, the same philosophy. I'm not saying dogs and humans are the same, but it will follow that type of uh, that marketing push, I think, which will get away from where they're currently focusing on, uh, which is the a lot of the industry just talks about how much protein is, is in a product as opposed to very little is ever mentioned on how much carbohydrate is in the product. Yeah, right. And so you mentioned before that the pet food industry is unregulated. Uh, can you explain to people what you mean by that in that there's no requirement to say what's in anything or disclose where anything comes from and stuff like that? It's happening. Fortunately, it is it is in the process. But I mean, unlike, for example, we've got things like the star system, in which I've got to say isn't the best system if you ask me as a nutritionist, because it's, it's complicated and doesn't necessarily look at sort of macro and micronutrients effectively. But what we actually need is we need sort of one governing body that does actually kind of put this whole industry into a level of transparency. So we do know what we're actually feeding. We've got, you know, every single label is clearly identified with the percentage of what food is in it. Nothing can be hidden because, again, right now you still have players out there that can manipulate the packaging and manipulate the messaging. And it really then leaves it to the customer to have to kind of filter through all that information, which shouldn't be the case because, I sit there as a nutritionist, often just simply explaining labels to my clients, which just seems seems ridiculous in this type of you know environment that I'm still having to do that. And it's even worse when you go into the pet food industry. But it is happening. And I think the, the bigger voice we can have, particularly breeders, breeders are the founder of kind of what is, you know, how people are starting off their interaction with a pet. You know, if they can then create a little conversation with the person this you know they're selling the animal to you know training the animal for it's a great circular way that we can then start to educate people on what to look for when it comes to packaging don't look at that sort of you know often what we find is that your packaging will still be a certain color you know you've got these natural hues and tones which in your natural perception is that's going to be a healthier product to buy well that doesn't necessarily mean anything we still need to be looking at, you know, the descending order when it comes to an ingredient. You know, we know that the, the largest quantity of the food is going to be the first ingredient with the descending, exactly like it is for humans, but it does need to be expanded and it shouldn't be relied on the customer to have to kind of, you know, decipher the information. Mm-hmm. So on pet food, when you say regulation is coming, but it's currently unregulated, is there any requirement to disclose what the actual ingredients are? Or because I know like I've never really investigated that much, but like I've never noticed it. What I feed sort of, it has a little bar. It's not like a nutrition panel like you would expect to see on any human food. It has a a little bar that, and the protein bar goes further than the carb bar. And so. so, That's advertising. (laughs) Protein bar goes further than the carb bar. Which product are you using? I'd like to see that one. Uh, Or the the fat bar then goes further than it. So I'll I'll tell you, I feed Royal Cannon Endurance 4800. I have for more than 10 years because exactly that is a high fat food, but I don't know what's in there. I have no idea what that's made from, but I know that it's a very high calorie. That's why I feed it because that means that my dogs feed less and they're hungry because they train for it yeah, and they absolutely. perform well on it. Right. But I don't know what's in that. And are you saying that your website has all your ingredients on there? Yep. 
we have our ingredients. We have our percentage of ingredients in there as well. We also have that we have our approval ratings in there. So we, we want people to look a little deeper. We want them to come to our website. We've also just... Like any business, we're always continually innovating and changing, but we've got now two EDMs that we're going to or two newsletters that we're releasing each week. We've got a real content piece, a real education piece on there. We're talking about the nutrition. We're giving recipes because what we want is we want, we kind of would love to be this one spot that you go to, not just to get your food, but to get your information, to get your holistic information on how you then have a pet in your life, how you feed your pet, how you interact with your pet, because people need to have a little bit more than just information. But, yes, it's, it's unfortunate, but, you know, we need more clarity when it comes to how we read labels. If you, with the amount of money that we spend on our animals, we absolutely should have a very clearly defined nutritional panel on our products, uh, of which, you know, is coming. What we've always tried to be is one of the biggest players. So when we do become regulated, we don't have to then change things within our business because we are already compliant of what this regulation will be, which I'm very proud to say we are. We are all those things. And we've very much you know, wanted to do that from the beginning as well. And we'd love the whole industry to be like this, you know. Obviously, we want to do really well and we want to sell fabulous amounts of food and all of that, but we want the whole industry to change. One thing that I did want to add is that both of you actually, you walk the walk that you're talking as well and that you trusted mm-hmm. in their health and nutrition. I mean, Zoe, you, you're actually known for the work that you do on TV, but you also live that lifestyle as well. And Michael, you're very trusted in the health and fitness industry as well. You've got celebrity profiles that you've been working with and training with people. So it's not that you've just jumped in this and you're just hoping to wing it. It's an actual lifestyle that's evolved around your own professionals and extended beyond there. I think it's a good point that you've just made. And even from Narelle's experience that you mentioned before, how she's a nutritionist for humans as well as dogs as well. And how as much as you're not saying it's exactly the same for both, the philosophy of how you approach things fundamentally is. Mm. And it's all about creating a better nutrition for better mind and body experience. And it's, it's both work well when you get the balance right. So, yes, we are fundamentally applying and being true to our word and um and yeah, it's a, it's a great compliment. I'm more from the fitness side and so it's more from the nutrition side. And, and we're learning and enjoying this journey of learning a lot more about animal nutrition in through the process. We don't claim to be experts, but we claim to be uh, aspiring to know more. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. And before we do wrap up, I just want to add that Narelle actually has an online course on teaching people how to read what's actually in labels. Like she's actually spent a long time with it and it actually delves into the science of it. So if you know Narelle as well as most of us do, she's not about the woo. She's about the actual. She's really involved in what science stipulates. She's a scientist first and foremost, so she always goes back to her roots where she's looking at everything as being evidence-based rather than just hypocrisy and theory that's out there. So it's great to see what you're doing, guys. We've been on this journey partially with you and you've been sharing things with us along the way. And that's the reason why Pat and I agreed to have you on the show is because you're no bullshit people. You do live that life and you're really trying to do the right thing for pet owners across Australia and hopefully beyond. Thank you, Glenn, uh, for doing this. I'll send you some more treats for your beautiful dog. And, and Pat, I'd like to send you some of my food to just give it a try and let me know what you think. I'd be very keen to get Yeah, sure. Food. Love to. Sounds oh, good. Yeah, we're really into people buying our love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how can, what's the website, guys? How can people get the food? Where can they get it? What Give us all the information. 
We're healthyeverydaypets.com.au or you can follow us on Instagram, which is Healthy Everyday Pets. And like I said, we're always going to support by educating. We've got two newsletters we send out. And um, if you join our newsletter, you get 20% off straight away as well. But we, we want to walk hand in hand with all the people out there who love their pets as much as we love our pets and we love what we're doing. Groovy. Thanks so much for making the time. Thanks, mate. Thank you. We'll thanks, do that. thanks, Emma. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe, do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to jump into Patreon. We've got stuff coming out there. We've got a huge, massive backlog of information. I'm fighting for time with a homeschool and a newborn baby to make sure I get that the uh, live Q&A session's done. I want to get to the two this month. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to find the time. So you can jump into Patreon there and uh, a few bucks a month will get you access to that. Hey, it'd be nice if one day through Patreon, we could actually afford our own professional recording studio, wouldn't it? So we could baffle it up and have it. So <laughs> well, I'm close to having that here. It's just, it's just uh lockdown, mate. It's the homeschool. That's mm. the killer. Like a six-year-old and a newborn trying to entertain them all day. It's it's tricky. At least you don't have the plane anyway, flying over your head at the moment. Yeah, that's right. There's there's definitely no sound problems, that's for sure. Mm. The other way to support the show is Teespring. I've been noticing some cool T-shirts on people lately. People have been sending me pictures of their T-shirts and their tapestries, which is shocking that people are putting up the tapestries. Well, if they're sending uh, them to I you, they should be putting there. them up on the discussion group. Yeah, I was talking about it with people the other day in Clubhouse, people bragging about their shirts and their tapestries. Casey telling me, and then he put a video up in one of the things that he teaching people to juggle with our logo in the background, which is all very exciting. Have you seen our um, big tapestry that we've put in the shed here at Dural? Yeah, I saw you did that. I, I haven't been out to you, your place in, when's the last time I was there? A month ago. A month ago? Yeah, yeah a month ago. There's T-shirts and so forth for me out there I can't even get to. Yep. Stem I've got a towel for you, a no more one more time towel, I think it is. <laughs> we have towels. We've got towels. <laughs> Go on awesome. to Teespring, check our shit um, out. Get some merch on you, y'all. Yeah, exactly, right? you got to wear clothes. They may as well, be, they may as well have our logo on it. Exactly. That's all the ways you can support the show. If you want to get in touch with us, best way to do that is jump into the discussion group. There's constantly people talking in there about things that happen on the show. If you want information about things we discussed, if you're like, hey, what's that episode where Pat said that thing? You can find it all in there. That's a place to do it. And if you want to get in contact with that, with us personally, the best way to do that is to send us an email. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. That's it. Goodbye. <laughs>